We are grateful for your presence tonight. We hope that the time that we have to spend together will be beneficial to you and strengthen you in your faith. We're going to be looking tonight at a continuation from the lesson this morning as we think about God's people are different. And this morning we spent some time and looked at the book of Exodus, chapters 11, 12, and 13. And we're going to pick up in our study tonight. I know that we've been looking at key verses every Sunday night. This week we were scheduled to look at Isaiah 7, 14. And next week we are scheduled to look at Isaiah 9, 6. What, I, what I'm going to do, what I plan to do, combine those two verses and we'll look at that next Sunday night. I think it's important for us to continue this study so that we might know who we are and whose we are. Because when you think about what the Scripture has to say, God was very clear with regard to the children of Israel. He identified them as His people. They were to have known who they were, and they were to have known whose they were. By the same token, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we ought to know who we are and whose we are. And so with that in mind, look again at Deuteronomy chapter 7, the passage that Tim read a moment ago. And you remember in verse 1, God said, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. When the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, Cut down their wooden images and burn their car carved images with fire. And then note this, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. If you are a member of the Church of Christ, you are a distinctive person in this world. You are distinctive because of who you are and whose you are. This morning we looked at the children of Israel, how God set apart the firstborn, whether man or beast, and God said, they are mine. He replaced the firstborn with the Levites. And we talk about the priestly tribe, and we understand that those of us who belong to the body of Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, that we are the church of the firstborn. We are registered in heaven. And so we are God's distinctive people. Peter would say you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's exactly what God was saying to the children of Israel. They were to have been a distinctive, holy nation of people. And so as we look at the New Testament, today we are identified as a kingdom and we are priests of the Most High God, aren't we? So with that in mind, let's think for a minute about our distinctiveness as God's people. Now, we talked about how God delivered His people. 
He designated them as belonging to Him. And those of us tonight who belong to the body of Christ, we are a special people unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, we are blessed above the rest, aren't we? Because every spiritual blessing resides in one place. That's in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3. Those who are in Christ are God's blessed. They are God's redeemed. So as you think about your relationship to God, let's talk for a minute about why we are distinctive and how that distinctiveness ought to be reflected in the world in which we live. Now you think about the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And you remember in verse 12, Paul would talk about how God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He said that we have been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It is in that sphere that Paul would say we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we are a part of a kingdom. That kingdom was established by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you have obeyed the gospel of Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as the great I Am, repented of your sins, confessed His name, and been immersed in water, God has then added you to the kingdom or to the church. In light of that, you are His distinctive person abiding in this world. So let me begin by asking, first of all, what about your deportment as a child of God? That would simply have reference to your conduct, our conduct here upon this earth. Do you think that the world ought to be able to tell that there is a difference between those of us who identify ourselves as New Testament Christians and the world? Is it possible that those lines have become blurred in the lives of many of God's people. Rather than being distinctive and set apart, you know, the Bible tells us we have been sanctified. With regard to the firstborn, God said, I want you to set them apart. We have been set apart from the world unto God. Our conduct is not to be like that of the world, is it? You remember Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct. And then he said, in love, in spirit, in faith, and purity. Can the world tell who you belong to? What about your speech? The words you use? You know, Jesus said in the long ago, by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. He said, every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the, day, in the day of judgment. They'll give an account in the day of judgment. There's coming a day in which we're going to stand before the God of heaven. If we have claimed to be His children, but we have used profanity, and we have engaged in foul and obscene language, how do you think that's going to go over? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Underline that word no. God's people do not need to use foul language. Sometimes we have members of the body of Christ who can outcuss the world. Let me tell you what, 
that's not who we are. We belong to the king, don't we? God wants us to be distinct. And so you think about your words and then your ways. How do you carry yourself? Are you a person who demonstrates genuine love toward other people? Do you have hatred and malice and ill will toward other people? You know, as God's people, one of the ways that we draw the world to Christ is by loving one another, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another? We're to be people that genuinely love one another, as Peter would say, with a pure heart fervently. Our spirit, our attitude. We might know the truth of God, but our attitude is terrible. Have a terrible spirit. Listen, if you want to turn the world off, then use caustic language, be demeaning in your conversation with other people, look down your nose at other people. Rather than drawing people to Christ, you will repel them. We are, we are to deport ourselves or conduct ourselves as God's people. Think about what Paul said in Titus chapter 2. He said we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Is that you? Are you living like the world? Or are you living as a distinct child of God? John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. If you have hooked your wagon to the world, you have identified with a system that ultimately will not stand the test on the day of judgment, will it? So you think about how you carry yourself in this world. When you go to the grocery store, when you go to the department store, when you go to work, when you go to school, when people see you, do they see Christ living in you? You mean to tell me that, I'm, that I am supposed to be different? Listen again to Peter. You are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy people do not live like the world, do they? If we as holy people are living like the world, something is amiss in our lives. What about your dress? The way we dress says something about who we are and whose we are, does it not? You know, quite frankly, there are some folks in the church, I don't think they've gotten the memo with regard to modest apparel. Let that sink in for a minute. If we claim to be a child of God, but we dress like the world, and I'm talking about we are immodest in our apparel. What does that say? It says something about our relationship to the Lord, doesn't it? You know what it says to me? It says to me that we don't know who we are and we don't know whose we are. We're children of the King. And then... Think not just about our deportment, but our doctrine. 
the doctrine of the church of Christ. Sometimes I hear people talk about, well, the church of Christ teaches this. Well, the church of Christ teaches that. Listen, the church can be wrong. God's Word is right. The standard is not the church. The standard by which we are governed is God's holy Word, isn't it? Matter of fact, the Bible says there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. James 4, verse 12, that's Jesus Christ. He is the one lawgiver, and we have one law. It's called the, the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. James said it's the perfect law of liberty. And James will say in chapter 2, verse 12, So speak and so do as those that will be judged by the law of liberty. That means your life needs to harmonize with the Bible, doesn't it? That means your ways, your words, your walk in this life need to be conducive to New Testament Christianity. If you claim to be a child of God but are walking in darkness, here's what John said, you lie and do not the truth. So you think for a minute about God's holy word. One of the things that sets us apart from the religious world at large is the fact that we appeal to truth. Now I know that most religious entities in the world, they talk about the Bible and they talk about trying to honor the Word of God. The only thing the Church of Christ has to offer the world, please listen, the only thing that we have to offer the world is the, is the truth of God. Brother William Woodson, who was a professor of mine when I was in school, said many years ago, the truth has a certain ring to it. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I hear people, even in the church, minimizing the importance of doctrine. What is it that sets us apart from denominationalism and other religious organizations? It's divine truth, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth? And didn't God the Father say about Jesus the Son, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. Paul said, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name, that is, by the authority of Jesus Christ. I don't have any right to teach or preach or advocate any doctrine not found in this book. That's it. Now, when I pick up this book and I talk about distinctive New Testament Christianity, and the fact that we are different from the world in which we live. We are a distinctive body of people. When I read the Bible, the Bible tells me there is just one church. Not two, not three, not five, not ten. One church. Can I prove that? Jesus said, based upon the good confession made by Peter, that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, I also say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The church of Christ is pre-denominational. It predates every denomination known to man today. It is non-denominational. The church that I want to belong to is the church that Jesus Christ built and bought with His blood. And if you're not in that body, you're not among the saved. Now you remember we talked about the Passover this morning. In order for the firstborn to be spared, the blood had to be applied to the doors 
to the lentil, to the doorpost and to the lentil. And the Bible says, if the blood was applied when the destroying angel swept through the land, he would pass over the firstborn. Only those who were in the house where the blood was applied were among the saved. If you're not in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, if you're not in God's church, you're outside the spectrum of God's blood, the saving blood of Christ, and you're lost. That's it. I don't say that to hurt anybody. I certainly don't want to appear arrogant or caustic. But you need to know what the Bible teaches. The Bible says there's just one church. That one church was built by Jesus on Pentecost Day. He bought and paid for it with His blood. And the Apostle Paul said, not only is there one body, there's just one head. There are not two heads on earth. There are not three, there are not four. One head and one body. And if we're not in the one body, governed by the one head, we're not among the saved. Paul said he's the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning. The word beginning there means active cause, the source from which something came into being. What Paul is saying is the church is a direct result of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the author of all life, isn't he? When Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, he offered physical life, he offers spiritual life, does he not? So you think about the distinctiveness of the church. If you're a member of the body of Christ, if you are a member of the church that we read about in Scripture, then you're a part of that blood-bought body that Jesus has promised to save. There's just one church, one body. Ephesians 4, verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1, 18. So if there's just one body and just one head, then that would signify that's the body we need to be in. Furthermore, there's just one entrance into the body of Christ. There are not two ways to get into the body of Christ, not three, not four, only one way. And let me say this, it's a very narrow way. You know what makes us distinctive? Because as members of the body of Christ, we're trying to uphold what the apostles taught. The apostles received the keys of the kingdom of heaven, didn't they? Pentecost Day, when those people cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter did not say, here's what I want you to do, bow your heads, say this prayer, and God will save you. That's not, what, that's not what Peter said. No, Peter said, here's what you need to do. You need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That is the only, that is the only thing that will save. That's it. I don't have the right to legislate the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. God hasn't given me that latitude. What I can do is tell people exactly what Jesus said. I can tell people exactly what the apostles said, can I? The idea that doctrine is unimportant. That's what the world says. The world says it doesn't matter what church you belong to. Join the church of your choice. 
I'm not interested in what the world says. What I want to know is, what does the Bible say? Does that make sense? What does the Bible say? Look, what's going to judge us on the last day? What I think? What you think? I mean, what's going to be the determining factor on the day of judgment? Hear what Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth, Romans 2, 2. Somebody says, what is truth? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. In Revelation chapter 20, when John said, I saw the dead small and great standing before God, he said the books were opened. That's the word of God. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged on the basis of what? What was written in the books. So we talk about God's people are distinctive. The message that we preach, the message that we teach is a distinctive message. When we tell people what to do to be saved, I know what the world says, I know what preachers on television say, and what those on the radio say, but I'm not interested in what they say. I want to know, what does the Bible say? That's why we are distinctive. Why? Because we appeal to divine truth, don't we? We're trying to follow the truth. We want to be like the noble Bereans of old who searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. So you think about the distinctiveness of God's people. Is our worship to God distinctive? We talked just a minute ago about priests. We are priests of the Most High God. Whose worship is acceptable in the eyes of God? Those who are priests, right? Well, how important is it, is it for us as priests of God to live a holy life? The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, follow after peace and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So as God's people, we come together on the first day of the week, we're interested in worshiping God in spirit and in truth, right? The very worship that we engage in sets us apart from the world, doesn't it? I mean, I watch some of these guys on television, and they've got their orchestras, and they've got their bands, and they've got their choruses, and they've got their solo soloists. But I don't read about that in Scripture. Do you? I hear people talk about they partake of the Lord's Supper every six months or maybe every quarter. I read about saints in the, New, in the New Testament who met on the first day of the week to break bread. There is an apostolic precedence, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. So you think about our worship. Jesus said, God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is the aim, the object of our worship. We are the participants, we are the assembly who offer God that worship. We're obligated to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said you must worship this way. We've got to have the right attitude, and it must be by the authority of Christ. If it doesn't meet that criterion, it is not New Testament worship. I'm not talking about the run-of-the-mill worship that you see in the world. I'm talking about New Testament worship. We are distinct, are we not? 
Now, I know that there are a lot of folks in the church tonight. They have, they have for whatever reason, they have fallen in love with denominationalism. And they want to be like the denominations. Just like, you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the children of Israel were clamoring for a king, they went to, they went to Samuel, they said, give us a king. Why? We want to be like the nations around us. Let me tell you what. When we leave distinctive New Testament Christianity, we have no right to say that we're members of the Church of Christ. No right. If we're not going to follow and honor the doctrine of Christ, then my recommendation is take the sign down. If you want to be a denomination, then be a denomination. And you can do anything you want in that denomination because it's your denomination. But we're not talking about a denomination. We're talking about the church of Christ. The church that was built by Jesus, bought by Jesus, and belongs to Jesus. And if it belongs to Him, that means we do things His way. I know that does not sound politically correct in this day and time. I get that. Let me tell you what, I'm not interested in being politically correct. I am sick and tired of that agenda. Are you? I'm tired of it. And listen, look at what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He said to the children of Israel in the long ago, he said, all right, here's how, you want, here's how you're going to deal with those people who are dwelling in Canaan. He said, you shall destroy their altars. Break down their sacred pillars. Cut down their wooden images. And burn their carved images with fire. Please listen very carefully. I'm not interested in promoting denominationalism. I'm interested in tearing it down. I want to tear it all the way down to the ground. Why? Because it is not authorized by Almighty God. We are the distinctive people of Almighty God. And in some places... We have forgotten who we are and whose we are. And you think about the world in which we live. A world that is groping in spiritual darkness, filled with idolatry, run by people who are greedy and covetous. Materialism and money are the game they're playing. What about our devotion? What about our devotion? Don't you think that our devotion ought to say something about who we are and whose we are, that we're distinctive? Could I, what's first in your life? In terms of priority, what's number one in your life? Jesus said, listen to him, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That means before anything else. Now I want to say this, it might be some are watching tonight, I hope you are. There are some folks, they have let this quote-unquote coronavirus destroy and derail their faith. You hear what I'm saying? I get it. There are some people who are physically compromised, and they are unable to get out because of a compromised immune system or other health problems. But there are some folks and there are people in the body of Christ and there are people who are members of this congregation 
They're out running all over town, but they can't come to services on Sunday. Let me tell you what, that is a heart problem. It is a heart problem. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. You better get it right. You only have one shot at this world. You better be faithful to God. I know Jesus said, be faithful unto death. That is, in the face of death. Now, we talk about being faithful until death. Well, we need to be faithful until death, but also be faithful in the face of death. Don't let the world strip you of your relationship to God. Paul talks about those who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. There are some folks in the body of Christ, they have had their relationship to God pulled out from underneath them. So I want to encourage us to reach out to those who ought to be here. There's no reason for them not to be here. Reach out to them. Rattle their chain. When I was in school, I remember when we played football, if the coach got upset, if he got upset with you, he would take you by your face mask and do this. Can't do that now, but they did it then. In other words, get your head in the game. There's some folks need to get their head in the game. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also said, set your affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. I know we're citizens of this kingdom, this kingdom of God. Are we a citizen in this country? Yes. But to be a citizen of the kingdom of God is far greater. So we are distinct, aren't we? We're to be different. We're not to blend in. We're not to be conformed to the world, but rather, as Paul said, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let me just say this in closing. People can tell whether you're locked in on Christianity and you are a distinctive disciple or not. They can tell it. You, you, think people had, you think people had difficulty in the first century identifying Paul as a Christian? <laughs> Come on now. If we had the opportunity to see the Apostle Paul as he moved through the marketplace, you think we would know this guy's a Christian, he belongs to Christ? I don't think there would be any doubt. So as you go about your daily activities. Can people tell who you are and whose you are? If they can't, could I encourage you tonight to make the necessary changes? Look, God wants us to go to heaven, doesn't He? He's interested in that. The children of Israel, they were on their way to the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey. Well, we're on our way to the promised lands called heaven. And we want to get there, don't we? So to remember that we are God's distinctive people. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be your children.
We ask that you would bless us and give us the wisdom to make wise decisions in this life. Forgive us when we fall short. And Father, help us to be Christ-like in everything that we do. Help us to live as distinctive people in a world of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In closing, my goal hasn't changed. My goal is still to preach the gospel. I said a couple of weeks ago, whoever goes into the presidency, my job won't change. I'm not sure how things are going to play out. might be the case that my president's not in office. But I can tell you what, I don't care who's in office, I know this, Jesus is the king over the kings of this earth. King Jesus will still be in control. My job, preach the gospel. Share this message with the lost and dying world. That's what people need in this country. They need the gospel. If you haven't obeyed the gospel tonight, please do that. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Be baptized into Christ. Let God put you in the church and then be faithful. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not faithful and you want to rededicate your life, you want to renew your relationship with the Lord, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.